0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 453 featuring Peter Son who is a director over at Pixar and he recently directed the amazing film Elemental which was really cool to see, um, and I would, <laughs> it was just kind of amazing to, to, to hear him talk about it. I talked to him about it at the VIEW conference uh, a few months, about a month ago or so, and it was such a great thing to meet him because he is so kind and so thoughtful and such a great listener and so generous with his stories uh, that he was able to tell. Uh, this story is very much a story about his personal life growing up as a son of an immigrant uh, in the United States, and sort of hearing how that takes place and how it's being sort of illustrated through these elemental uh, uh, parts of the story. Um, and really incredible. He's got a long history at Pixar. Uh, he's done many things, including story and a bunch of other things, including being a voice actor. He is, in fact, the voice of Emil on Ratatouille. And in the character of Russell on Up was actually modeled after him. And if you watch the video, you will definitely see how that happened. A really nice guy. And I really uh, enjoyed it. What I think I appreciated the most is after listening to him tell the story about Elemental and his own personal life, I started to really think about movies and how they are become a self-reflection about what we are and who we, what we do. Um, and you guys know I'm a big cinephile and Uh, One of the movies I love to talk about on my other podcast, Martini Giant, is uh, Saturday Night Fever. And I definitely felt something, that connection between Saturday Night Fever and Elemental because of being that immigrant and trying to sort of understand how to get out of this neighborhood in some ways. Uh, Really interesting to think about that. Uh, Of course, Elemental is not quite as dark (laughs) as Saturday Night Fever, but we learned through the podcast that it almost was because um, uh, Peter was going through some difficult times during the directing of this that sort of had him have to force to change to be able to get things out of his system. Really interesting. You'll just listen to the podcast. You will see what he has to do. It's a very emotional one. And honestly, one of my favorite ones of the year because of how candid and kind uh, Peter was with his stories. So thank you so much, Peter. Uh, okay. Uh, this is, I know we are, uh, for those in the United States, uh, hopefully you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving is uh, is <laughs> it's just this last week. And of course, we're going into the holiday season. Things are a bit uh, slower in terms of our announcements. We're not necessarily doing any big events or the, the and coming up right now. And we don't necessarily have any big new product announcements just yet. But we will, of course, have those coming up. Uh, but I do, in terms of, announcements for this week. I'd like to mention again, I think I mentioned it last week, uh, that we just passed nine years and 450 episodes for the podcast, which more specifically means that next year, will be 10 years and 500 episodes. And for the next year, I'd like to sort of brainstorm with you guys to think about what we could do for that celebration. What could we do for 500 episodes? We do have a year to plan for it. And I'd like to take that year to plan something big and exciting. So I'd really like your input in terms of what could we do? what How could this could be exciting? Do we have a special guest? Do we bring back some guests? Do we have a live event? Um, and what all of those possibilities are. And if you have ideas for something big and you have an idea of how to make that happen we would love to hear your suggestions so go ahead and email us labs at chaos.com is our email again labs that is at chaos.com uh, and email us all of your suggestions for that big event. Uh, but also, if you have other suggestions of other guests you'd like to have more immediately, we'd love to hear those as well. So you can always use that same email for that as well. All right. And if you guys are new to the podcast and you're like, oh, okay, I want to know what's going on over the last nine years or so, we have lots of episodes uh, that you can check out, including some incredible guests. So you can always go to uh, chaos.com slash Garage. Again, chaos.com slash garage, And if you'd like to follow us on uh, uh, social, we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to watch these episodes uh, there along with all of our other chaos videos, it is at youtube.com slash tv. Again, youtube.com slash tv, where you'll be able to watch all of the episodes in video form as well. But for now, please enjoy episode number 453 with Peter Song. Welcome to another
1: CG garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image based lighting is really swell. You need to make sure everything has fun now
0: well listen, thank you for 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 being on this is really uh, fun I loved I loved your talk today thanks Chris and it really sort of resonated a great deal with me sort of understanding what it was and I saw Elemental obviously as well and sort of getting to that but what I think that got me so excited about your talk is that a lot of times when I do these, this podcast, I like to talk about people's origin stories, and that whole film is about your origin story. Right. <laughs>
2: right, Sure, yes. Yeah, I, And uh, um, look, I never thought it would, I, that it would make something so personal. It just grew into this thing that uh, you know uh, that when you're doing something creative, you always feel like you've got a goal, but uh, when it starts to shift, you make the choice of, do I? force it to be what it is, or do I allow it to grow? And uh, boy, it went somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, what was was your, the thing that really drove you in this? Obviously, you know, uh, I'd like to know how you got into animation. Actually, that's actually an interesting story. Like, how did that happen?
2: Um, My mother um, is uh, a cinephile. Oh, really? But she grew up, you know, during the Korean War, her dad was an electrician and, uh, of, in this poor village, uh, uh, but uh, he was the electrician to the theater. And so my mom would go to the movies all the time as a kid. And, uh, you know, she loved Gary Cooper. And so she, uh, when I was growing up, uh, anytime the, you know, the grocery store that my parents had, had made money, mm-hmm. she would take us to the movies. And right. uh, um, uh, that triggered a love for me for, you know, um, the theater. But it was um, an animated movie that I remember my mom getting very emotional at, that uh, sort of got me more into it. And uh, um, uh, in elementary school, I just started making flip books and uh, that idea of persistence of vision and what that was, I mean, I didn't know what that was. What was the, what that was was.
0: the feature of it? You... It
2: was uh, 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 Dumbo. Dumbo. Uh, and uh, there was a moment where, you know, the baby elephant is being um, held by the mother Uh, trunk, Mm -hmm. but she's she's been imprisoned, Right, and uh, there's a song, most of the movies that my mom took me to, she didn't understand English, so my brother and I were always translating these movies for her, so it was always like, you know, that's what's going on here in our terrible Korean, but in Dumbo, she did not need any sort of translation whatsoever, and uh, um, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it, I just remember like, wow, what an effect she had on me because uh, that was her passion was just sure. loving these stories uh, but then yeah there was a book called The Illusion of Life that I saw in a library and in the corner of it was this flip book where you went from um, um, Pinocchio to uh, Pluto and um, um, you would just flip and this this idea of sink frozen images being uh, flipped through mm-hmm. creating that optical illusion blew me away as a kid and so I just kept making flip books forever until I had enough money to make a short film in high school and uh, yeah from there what was your short film? About? Uh, it was about a kid getting mugged I grew up in New York and uh, in the storefront this little kid wanted some candy and uh, um, this kid mugs him I mean this other this this uh, criminal mugs the kid right. and, uh, but it was half finished you know it was all analog it was I had done it on paper I was like in the 10th grade and I you know I had Saved enough money to buy celluloid, you know, acetate, and uh, um, I would ink and then paint, then wash them and do it all again, and uh, um, uh, shot it on a sixteen millimeter Oxbury camera, and uh, um, in New York at a school, and uh, um, I remember, you know, sending the film away and. You know a month later getting it back and yeah, it takes a whole month <laughs> right yeah and then all of a sudden like the blip of the animation that i had done shocked me of like the amount of work that you did to get this little amount of yeah of screen time uh but you know but from then it's just been a lot of homework and then uh, these lucky connections to get into some studios you know? yeah what's how, how what
0: led you to to pixar how did you do that
2: um so I went to CalArts and oh, uh, nice. um, uh, f- as for to learn animation 2D animation okay uh, that was still going um, uh and then about th- the end of or the second year Dreamworks had just opened up their animation yes and uh and Warner's did too and uh Brad Bird had a project called The Iron Giant <laughs> that he came to the studio and he pitched what he was doing. And uh, I remember a lot of the other studios were very corporate and, and there was a sort of circus to it where Brad came in and he just talked about Lady the Tramp and what he loved about it. And uh, I remember that feeling of like, oh, this is, this is what it means to be a part of a tribe. He's talking the way we, us students were talking. And, right. uh, some friends uh, gave him a call and just say, is it possible to get lunch? and uh, we had lunch with him and asked him questions about his history and then a few of us got jobs from there to work on iron giant
0: did you know ryan woodward yes oh my god do you know ryan yeah i did i just did a podcast with him recently and he was just talking about that
2: oh yeah which is awesome (laughs) yeah but like that 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 style of filmmaking that he had sort of imparted to that crew yeah was so much about putting, like, using all of the buffalo and and right. and every piece of the, you know, everything that we are working on has to be up there. We can't waste and being passionate about performance and story. Yeah, uh, it wasn't it wasn't a Hollywood thing in terms of like, oh, we've got um, this Hollywood big name. Let's give him more lines or give her more lines. Right. It was just such a sincere
0: it's love such for a, the craft. It's such a beautiful movie.
2: Yeah, he did a tremendous job, yeah. and uh, that being sort of the first film for me, um, I was hungry for that, and right. I was like, I would follow that. Like, sure. uh, our next film, Osmosis Jones, yeah. was a very different philosophy. It had four directors on it, yeah. uh, two live action one two animation directors, mm-hmm. and it was a much more commercial process. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Juxtaposing those two experiences um, uh, led me to Pixar. Uh, the, those guys, uh, um, Brad, having worked with him, um, um, got my name up into, at Pixar for animation, mm-hmm. but I just didn't have enough experience, so they denied me, and then okay. I came back down. But I left my portfolio there, and uh, uh, Ralph Eggleston, the production designer yeah. there, um, saw my portfolio and then asked me to interview, and then he brought me up on to Finding Nemo. and So that was my first show. But, mm-hmm. So I did a couple years at Warner Brothers, a year at Disney TV okay. and then went up to Pixar. That's amazing. What were, what were, what were your responsibilities on Finding Nemo? I started as a sketch artist, meaning I was designing the the, the parts of the dentist's office okay. and some of the third act uh, set pieces. And then uh, Andrew Stanton noticed that my, um, s- the way I would do the set drawings were very much like st- story images. I. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, essentially comic panels. Right. Uh, and then so he brought me into the story department. And so I had done um, um, some of that art for a while and then into the story for the rest of that film. Right. And you've also done voices and a bunch of other things. Yeah, yeah. which, and look, I never thought I would be doing it. I, I went in to do 2D animation, you know? Right. And so uh, the the idea of storyboarding came a little bit more naturally because I liked the pose, the pose of it. Sure. Uh, but then the next movie on Iron Giant... Having worked with Brad, he gave me these amazing chances to go into the art department, then into the story department, and then in the animation department, and then gave me a chance of doing some scratch voices for some things. Right. I was a, a mugger in that movie and uh, um, uh, uh, just tremendous luck with the, the opportunities he gave on that show. And then it's been sort of bouncing around that sure. for a lot of the films.
0: Sure. Well, I love the, I love, you know, obviously a lot of people that come out of story end up directing and things like right, that. So right. So it's kind of wonderful. But I do want to go into detail about Elemental because I think uh, it's a great story. Uh, I love stories like that. Uh, the story it reminded me of, yes. which is a little bit uh, different, was uh, one of my favorite films, yeah. which is Saturday Night Fever.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that movie too. Oh, yeah.
0: And it just has that little bit of that gritty New York and a yeah. little, you know, different worlds yes. scenario yes. that was really kind of resonates. But this movie specifically was way more personal about, it. like the story of your parents coming here yes. was that's very similar to what that story is, right? Yes,
2: yes. And uh, um, what was interesting was the the inception of the film was about just thanking our parents for the sacrifices that they had given. That was really you know, the heart of it. I would talk about it, about like understanding our parents as people and what that meant. There's a a certain age that happens to a lot of us where we really start to realize their decisions that they had made um, uh, versus it being some sort of autobiography. I never wanted to go there and it's really not an autobiography, but that resonated with so many members of the crew that the film sort of evolved because of all the stories that everyone was telling us to this universal idea of what it means to be a foreigner Mm -hmm. or an immigrant and uh, what assimilation or acculturation can be because it sort of naturally fit in this diverse world of elements and it sort of became that, it it started becoming its own thing. Sure. Uh, But... Uh, um, in the middle of this production, my parent, my dad died and my mom died uh, toward the end of it. And um, that's where something else shifted in, in, in the way I was making this thing with the team was... I was so afraid of doing anything personal because I knew that once you go there it's so hard to make objective decisions because you're just thinking like, oh, that's the feeling. It has to be this. And it was, it was something I never wanted to go into. So I really relied on the crew <clears throat> and their experiences as well. Mm-hmm. But because my parents had died, it just basically became, I didn't know this at the time. I can say that now that the <clears throat> film's done, but that it was just a way to honor our parents. Right. Their stories, obviously, it's an animated film, a fantasy film. Sure. Um, uh, but finding specificities that a lot of the crew folks could hook into that felt real to them, you know?
0: Yeah, because I remember, you know, when you were showing your presentation, I didn't know that, you know, for a long part of the film, he was running an incinerary shop, right, right? right? Which is very different, and yeah. but and then you decided to shift it to make it, you know, a much more mom and pop yeah. store, yeah. which is much closer to your right, reality, right.
2: right? Yeah, that's where it goes more in the autobiography place, right. yeah.
0: So it was interesting
2: that 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 took place yeah. in that way, but uh, but the choice for that, maybe it's maybe it subconsciously was, but it was really trying to understand Ember and her issues, you know, uh, and and processing my dad's death, you know, like right. that angry version of, there was a version of the film that was very angry and dark, uh, but that stemmed clearly looking back on it now from losing my father, right? Uh, but then trying to not see the, the anger anymore and the, and the, of the death, uh, and trying to remember the positive uh, uh, of his life. And uh, that clearly shifted what that relationship with uh, the daughter and father would be. Um, so that from that garbage incineration business, to this mom and pop shop it was all about making connections the garbage business couldn't form connections because you're not serving a customer face-to-face right and uh, um, uh, there was a lot of people in the show that all understood they all came from families that had retail or shops like that that all of a sudden that idea of trying to connect to a customer became clearer you know
0: yeah What was I mean? What was that 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 thing that sort of led for you to change the way that you think of that character? Because were you angry at the I mean, I know you mentioned several times that you were angry, but what were you angry at? Your father for dying? Were you angry at the situation that was there? Did you not have the opportunity to express how you feel?
2: It was several layers, Chris. It was you know, it was a surprise the way he died. You know, and uh, there was. Um, um, certain issues in the way that he died that broke my heart that I was really frustrated about um, but then it was also the politics at, in, at, in the country were shifting yeah. you were know, getting much more polarized and there was all this news articles about immigrants and, and keeping them out of the country and all this stuff that happened right when, my, that hit a fever right when my dad died and so right. there was a mix of all these layers that were sort of hitting me and then doing a film about immigrants all of a sudden there was this burden of like we have to talk about this and I have to honor my father and his experience which took it into this very angry place right Um, uh, but it was it was those layers yeah
0: yeah I can understand I think it's very hard to digest things especially because I think you know, right now, social media almost honors our anger over other things. Yes, the algorithm really loves it. Yeah, it really <laughs> and it's does. really sad. But I think there's some, some amazing stuff about it. So I remember when I was watching your presentation, you were talking about, you know, the picture of your parents arriving from Korea. Yeah. Very, very similar yeah. to that story. But then, how did it get to elements? You mentioned you saw the periodic table, I thought that, but was it really that transition, or was it like we needed to
2: be about something else? How did it become about that? Right, so the timelines are all sort of messed up. Like <laughs> that periodic table thing was just the gag that I did when I was in school. It wasn't oh, right. anything, there was no, uh, the, it wasn't about the classical elements. I would just draw a lot of characters coming from, you know, Helium was real gassy, you know, it was all sort of these jokes. <laughs> right. But that's all it was. It was just jokes. Right. And so when I got, you know, so then years later, I went to this event where I got to thank my parents. Yeah. Um I brought that anecdote back to the studio. And,
0: and you were already slated to do a film with them or Yes, okay. they were
2: asking for me to pitch a couple ideas, but this wasn't even a pitch. This was me just they were as friends talking about like an experience that I had with my parents that I sure. got very emotional, thanking them for their the the, the, the sacrifices they made for my family, mm-hmm. and uh, um, that was something that was pretty unanimous. Like that's the heart of your film, Pete, and so right, and so but that had nothing to do with the elements. it sure. was just this little nugget of a feeling, of of gratefulness. But in then when I started developing the story. I was researching all of this stuff, then that little gag of the periodic table came to mind. The, the idea of a diverse neighborhood and world that were living on top of each other right. and how they could sort of mix and not mix, uh, sorted, like, a, like, a, like perfectly like fit with that mm-hmm. uh, little feeling of Nugget with my parents. And then in the development of that came boiling it down to the classical elements.
0: right, Right. So how was that development going as you were starting to think about things? Why, why, why did you pick fire and yeah. uh, to be the primary one?
2: It was so interesting. Of um, um, you know, when you're writing, there's you know, there's free writing when you're just flowing and letting write whatever is sort of like the stream of consciousness, just letting it flow out. I do the same thing with drawing. You know, and sure. so I'll just draw and let just see where the hand takes you and. Uh, there was a fire. Characters that were drawn. Uh, this little family that just came out of nothing. Right. And uh, um, um, it really brought to me, like, oh, this. So I'm, I feel personally connected to this for some reason. Why do I feel like this? And uh, um, that the fire is dangerous. And um, uh, is the, the the perception of me growing up in New York, where you were, you know, the xenophobia of you not being not wanted Mm -hmm. sort of with a very thin thread started connecting to that. Uh, but then in terms of researching fire, it was an amazing thing. It's not really an element. It's a change agent, fire, right? It's (laughs) a plasma, right? Right. The classic elements were just such funny, like non-logical, you know, illogical forms. Sure. But that you could still make a community out of a change agent really was interesting that it, that it could change the other elements. Sure. Became a little craw in my mind of like, oh, this feels like what a protagonist needs to be. Right. To be able to shift the world around it, you know? And uh, and uh, um, that, that's how that started.
1: Yeah. What
2: was it like directing simulations? <laughs> <laughs> Chris, um, I didn't know enough about it. I came in with a lot of hubris, you know, like, it's hard to imagine what was it like before the film, but there was no characters made of fire or water. Right. It was hard to find. There was Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle, a 2D fire. Right. And then there were characters that were on fire in live action movies like so a human torch, the torch. Yeah. ghost rider, uh, these type of things. And at Pixar, we had done Jack Jack that turned right. onto fire. So there right. were those sort of uh, peer references. You know? Yeah. References. Yeah. And, uh, um, so when I would talk about like, oh, there's this fire family, no one really knew what I was talking about. It was like, oh, meaning people on fire? Like, no, like, oh, are they actual fire? Yes, are they like candle flames? Like, no, <laughs> until I started drawing some version of it. And, right. uh, um, so when drawing it, I had a lot of confidence in like, oh, I feel like I've got something that we can then translate into the computer. Uh, it'll take some work, but we'll get there. Um, controlling a simulation was a thing that I really didn't understand. Like, uh, because the teams there and the other movies that I work with had shown their simulations, we had a river in the good dino, and um, um, so much of it was just about letting the physics do what it needs to do. Right. Versus having it emote something or, or control it to, 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 to feel an emotion. That part of it was... Um, one of two of the biggest hurdles of the film the film um took seven years to make part of the reason why it took so long was that pixar didn't have a pipeline to animate or build characters like this and so we had a lot of r d for a couple years just to go what are we what are they going to look like and then what are the tools that we need to build to control all of that and that part took much longer than I thought it would ever take. Right. And, uh, that, yeah, that was one of the hardest things. Especially like the fact that, you know,
0: fire looks like fire, but it's a stylized fire in yes. a lot of ways. And you said you used some machine learning tools to make yes. that happen. Can you tell us a little bit about
2: that? Yeah, I guess I'll take a little step before that Sure. to your point about like it doesn't look like fire, but it is fire. Like, that was a real interesting challenge because the computer easily could create a realistic fire to, right. a, to a certain degree. Sure. Like, there was tests that were done where it was um, um, just essentially putting in a couple of like ingredients in terms of temperature and height and, and, and speed, and there it was. There was real fire. Um, it didn't look like a body. It didn't look like a creature. It just looked like fire. Now, that... Uh, it was great because that's what the computer does well, is makes something photoreal. You, When you looked at it, you could feel the heat coming off of it. You felt like, oh, yeah, that could burn something. Right. Then we were looking at 2D fire, really abstract graphic fire, mm-hmm. and it looked cool, but it didn't look like it could burn you. It didn't, it didn't have that effect. Right. And so we were trying to find the balance between those two things, which is how we got to the NST or the neural style transfer, the machine learning right. of controlling that... Um, uh, simulation. Uh, anytime we put the eyes and the mouth on her, realistic eyes demanded realistic fire, right. and it looked terrifying. It looked like the Balrog coming out of, you <laughs> of know, Mordor. You know, it was really scary looking. And you could, easy, if we needed to make a horror movie, we've got that no problem. That was going to be easy to do. Right. But to try and find a landscape of a face that you could watch for an entire film and sort of fall in love with or empathize with. That's where that balance was the challenging part of it. And so we sort of put the graph, more graphic sort of caricature eyes onto realistic fire. And it just didn't fit right. until they figured out a way to carve that simulation into a more graphic thing with the NST. Mm-hmm. And that's when it started to find a, a balance. Right. But the, the tough thing, as hard as that was, We didn't want the fire character to feel like it came from a different movie than the water, earth or
0: air, of course. And so
2: that design of Ember sort of forced the design of the other characters. So
0: you started with Ember as the, as this, as the thing that drove everything. else. Yes,
2: that's right. Ember was our first um uh character she wasn't the hardest though what uh, wade was the wade hardest was the,
0: character because it's so transparent right?
2: yes everyone said going in that water was going to be the hardest but i didn't believe it i thought fire would be right as hard as ember was by the time we got to um uh having those tools to control the simulation and uh by the time we got there We had just begun on Wade and we were hitting obstacle after obstacle because of of fire has no shadows right there the connections of appendages didn't have seams there were no folds there was nothing right the fire could once you turn it on it could cheat so much of it right and i didn't know that that's the, the the cheats that could come with fire sure um with water there wasn't really cheats. Right. That you know, like, if you tweak the sim motion of the water in one direction just slightly, it, he would just turn to Jello immediately. Right. If you went the other way, he turned to Casper the Ghost. Right. Like, it was this really tightrope balance of trying to make sure that he felt like caricatured water. I mean, like you saw in the presentation, we show we had very clear uh, wades where you just saw right through him and he was refracting everything like a lens naturally. And right. uh, when you see that, Everything is everything in the back, even though it's blurry back there, when it's inside his body, all becomes crisp. So the background brick wall was crisp in his face. Right. And so we had to start making graphic choices to cheat what water was for us. And you
0: gave him some volume, basically, of yes. some color,
2: right? Yes, that's right. So there was sort of this murk in him and a, sort of a plasma or prismatic sort of aber- aberrations that were going on right. inside him to give us the effect of you know like a pool at night you right know, and uh and you had bubbles
0: too and we had bubbles <laughs> and we
2: had um um ripples going through this the, the surface and simulated waves of for his hair mm-hmm. um but all of that was tough but the lighting of him was one of the hardest things right uh because he was so reflective and and and, and refractive mm-hmm. That in any sort of situation every sequence and every shot he just didn't look like what he needed to look like right like even though we had a set standard sort of shading uh, color to him and then the look to him right. when you would put him in a dark room it would all disappear embers light. she was the same in every situation right and then if you put wade out into the uh, you know noon lighting in broad daylight He would blow out the lens. He would just become this white ghost that was walking around and uh, controlling that shot to shot on top of uh, controlling his expression and and his model was very difficult because in some angles he looks really weird and gross and then in some angles he looks really cute. Trying to balance that with the lighting was uh, um, he was a monster.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned you had 151,000 computers. Or something. Yes,
2: that's right. They had bought, uh, a, uh, you know, several more knowing the, the trouble that we were in, 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 in into rendering all of that. And like, that
0: was mostly due to the water and stuff. Yes.
2: It was the water characters, wow. and the, you know, that, that sequence I was showing in the presentation where he's stepping into water. That's pouring out of this, these culvert doors. And he's growing because the water's filling him up. Um, it was explained to me because of those layers of transparencies that the computer has to render all of it, and it's taking forever. Right. And uh, uh, you know, uh, it was that sequence, and then the air stadium sequence with all the crowds and simulated oh, right. air characters that were moving around. Simulating all those air characters um, 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 hit us hard, and so that's when they made the choice that we're going to need more. Cord. That's
0: that's amazing. That's amazing. I want to get a little bit into the culture of the store because I think yeah. it was really cool. Yeah. Once you're in the store, yeah. you see everything that's a, little, that's a little foreign. Yes. Right? Yes. A little bit different, like what they eat or what they, what they yeah. buy, what people, are, what they are doing. You know, yeah. the fire, all fireworks, all these different things. How, what were you thinking about in terms of your own different culture and how that influenced like, oh, this is something that I have in my culture they'll have something like that. Were there some correlations between those things?
2: Yes, there were. There were, yes, there was. And there was two sort of philosophies in trying to figure that out. One was about disruption. Okay. And then one was about redefining what being a foreigner was. Okay. Uh, and so we had this unique culture that we were building and the hope and the intent was to build something that was unique, wholly to fire, that okay. it wouldn't be connected to any one culture. Sure. Um, as we did that, it got very generic. There was, you know, anytime we hit a specificity into something like, oh, that's that culture, we can't use it. Or that that's that culture, we can't use it. Right. And so it just became, they were, they like to eat wood and they liked to burn, like there wasn't a lot more that we could add that we could connect to sure. as, as an audience. so. Well, the first philosophy of disruption became something that we used of like, okay, what if we take something that is from something that we know, like a bow, like in the, in, in in the Korean culture or Asian culture, mm-hmm. what that means. Then we sort of evolved it into a more fire sort of bow, so it wouldn't represent an actual bow that any one culture would do, but we would we still took the gesture, right? But then, then another uh, tradition we would take from another culture and shift it so that Anytime you would, you know, there was a shirt that said, kiss me, I'm Irish," mm-hmm. And so it was like, oh, wait, I thought they were Asian, but are they Irish? What, you know, like there was a, a lot of disruptions that we were sure. trying to do. Now, the perception of it was a mixed bag. Some audience was like, oh, they're clearly South Asian or, uh, meaning my job of trying to make that as universal as possible wasn't always successful. Uh, but it was that mix with the fun of what's fun about fire, you know, and, uh, you know, um, they, their language is made up of, of the cracks and pops of, like, when you hear a roaring fire, in a right. campfire. Um, uh, meaning that wasn't connected to any culture, just that's what fire does. Right. Um, and so there was that philosophy. Then the other one on, on um, uh, what was I saying? There was disruption and... Uh, um, what the hell was I just saying? Disruption and uh, I'm forgetting, my brain is slipping It's here. okay. Uh, I was gonna
0: ask about the creation part of it, like the fact that she can blow glass.
2: Yes, yes, that, there are many forms of that. There, she was originally a graffiti artist. Uh, she was, um, again, in that dark version, she was sort of a vandal, and right. she was very rebellious against that, the culture, culture of the city. Right. And, uh, but again, it got so dark, um but i went to um uh an iron forge where they were they had glory holes and everything mm-hmm. and just watching that act mm-hmm. of someone blowing glass uh uh was so inspiring that i just started drawing what would that be if you didn't need gloves and you didn't need all those apparatus to just do it by hand and so that right. that was that was just triggered from a little bit of research and exploration
0: yeah you mentioned a story of uh, was it who was able to sort of get you out of that darker version. That oh, had- yeah.
2: Um, it was my executive producer, Pete, Pete Doctor. He yeah. has been through it before. He's, you know, tremendously creative and, and uh, you know, just a really great, empathetic, objective ear. Sure. Uh, meaning, like, he's not jumping in and watching everything. He's not micromanaging. Mm-hmm. He's there to see where the milestones are and, and offer really fantastic objective viewpoints um by that dark screening it was so dark everyone clearly was like you know it started off all fine and it was a really fun idea but then after my dad died there was a clear term that i couldn't even see mm. and uh um uh, pete had sort of pulled me aside and asked is this the movie that you always wanted to make and i was like no i wanted to do something hopeful pete and uh you know, we had a good conversation and then and, and it came down to him reminding me of something that I pitched to him. And there uh, was this one line that the dad says to his daughter about this mis- misunderstanding of something that mm-hmm. the shop was never the dream. You were the dream. And uh, we both got very emotional over it because at the heart of it, it was just this love story between uh, this, this daughter and her father. Yeah. And uh, that brought me back to why I was doing this all from the first place, just thinking of right. parents. And I had lost that when I was, you know, after my dad had died. And so he, it wasn't just that one little anecdote. There was a lot of care that he gave through the process of making sure the film needed what it had and that, that, that I w- that I was still able to be objective because he knew that when it got that personal, the danger of just being stuck in like, no, it has to be this. And uh, for myself, I would just continually blow ideas up to not allow myself to just fall in love with something, you know, but there were still things that I did fall in love with that were, that I got very stubborn over, but he was always there to to, to sort of keep me on track.
0: Yeah, I think that's really amazing uh, that you were able to do that because did it help you get through it, redoing it? It
2: It really did, Um, um, meaning even if the film wasn't an autobiography, I didn't need to, it was, the crew and Pete and everyone—we all knew how it started. It was all about this very sincere appreciation, you know, for people in our lives that took risks for us, you know, and that sort of was coming in at, at all angles, and uh, um, it was cathartic because it was a form of support. Mm-hmm. They were supporting the film and supporting me going through something, and it wasn't just my mom, my dad. My—I my, mean, it wasn't my, just my dad. My mom died several years later and uh, all in this production and the whole fucking movie was about trying to thank them, you know? Yeah.
1: um, I
0: think that's really, I mean, it shows so much and it really is kind of wonderful for sure. I also love the anecdote story you said about your Korean grandmother dying.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's (laughs) so real. Yeah. Tell that story. Yeah. So (laughs) when, you know, this was college days, Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother, you know was a very strong korean and then was she in the u.s or was she, she was in new jersey yes uh, okay. and uh, uh when she passed away she had brought us all together and she had said you know in korean like yoja which is marry korean and she passed away and I was like <laughs> but i had fallen in love with someone that wasn't right and so there was this tremendous guilt from that and uh, you know bringing uh, uh, my now wife into the family mm-hmm. brought so much culture clash that Connected to so many other people in the in, on the show, and we were all talking about ideas, and there was sort of this universal get from this group that started forming this story. Uh, but it came from a very very real place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I think it's really really interesting. Um, so you've obviously, you know, you've been, uh, working on some animation since Iron Giant and all of that stuff going to now, obviously animation is changing quite a bit. Yes. What are your thoughts about the changes that are taking place in animation and how things
2: are going? Um, I am two of minds of it. Like, I love the diversity, right. I'm just very excited about the breadth of animation, you know, like when I was starting, it was like one or two studios, you know, right. and then there were, there was not very much in between. Now we're at a place where there is so much and so there's so many viewpoints to see and so many new styles and new narratives that are just very exciting. Sure. At the same time though, like what it's what it's doing to theatrical experiences have been really fascinating and you know still something that I'm trying to process in terms right. of like there's so much content that's coming out in animation on streaming, and now there's more for the theater now than ever before. Sure. And, uh, um, I-, I love the animation community. I never see it as a competitive thing. It's just trying to get audiences excited about movies. Uh, now are so much harder when the choice is like, oh, I'll just wait to see it on streaming. And
0: and you only. You
2: need to wait a couple months, right? And uh, (laughs) and uh, across the board this year and parts of last year, you can just feel it—the live-action movies and and animated movies. Yeah, that there, there is this shift that's happening, and uh, I don't know where it's going, but it's. I grew up loving the theater, like most all of us, sure. And that sort of belief that when a group of people are together in a room and sharing emotion, there is a palpable chemistry that's happening that you just don't get when you are um, by yourself watching something and, and go, can hit pause right and <laughs> can pause to go get your popcorn or your microwave hot pocket or whatever it is yeah but 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 the movie is still going great I mean there's so many big movies sure there's just you know like there was the mid-range movies that are going away now and now there, there's different aspects of choices that are being made that I still don't quite understand yet uh, uh, that uh you know is concerning i understand i think there's
0: going to be i think there's going to be a paradigm shift in filmmaking yeah. which could be a good thing at some point yes. you know because i think that the people need to see uh that there's new things that can be done yes. i'm excited about the fact that there are films like elemental and animations like elemental and animations like arcane yes
2: that absolutely. can
0: be all shared experiences exactly i'm with you exactly
2: <laughs> yeah. like that diversity is incredible
0: yeah yeah, I think that that's really important. Do you think there's something also interesting that's happening with style of animation?
2: Yes, as, as, as much as the diversity of narratives, I think the diversity of styles, uh, because it's an anim, you know it's a it's a technology based form of filmmaking. Right. With Moore's law and like the speed at which technology is shift, is, is is evolving, things that used to be harder getting easier, and so sure. that means those tools are are being opened up so that we can try new things and uh, the the interesting thing is that like being nimble to shift styles is a very exciting thing but sometimes at a large studio it's harder to shift a moving cruise liner you know what I mean like when they are used to a certain style and so I think Mike uh, uh, the head of effects on Spider Verse said it at a, mm-hmm. a panel today mm-hmm. about like so much of his job feels like trying to break the pipeline, uh, which was very much what we were trying to do in Elemental because sure. you know shading a, a car or a toy is Plastic. Pixar's bread and butter, right? You know, for for so many years, trying to do that with essentially an effect or a simulation was so difficult, where maybe we could have found simpler tools to get there. But right. having it go through the big machine of Pixar just, you know, it was hard. was hard, yeah. But there, is, there are styles. I mean, that's
0: the thing that I think is so wonderful about something like Elemental is you look at it and you can tell this doesn't look like Toy Story.
2: Right, <laughs> right, 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 yes. And, and I mean, I, I really appreciate that it's something that we were aiming for. But like, you know, there's still so much further that you know, these films can go, all the films out there. Right. You know, the, the, you know from Disney's history of going from Snow White to Cinderella, and um, um, then from Cinderella to Sleeping Beauty, then to 101 Dalmatians. You know, mm. there was an evolution of just those artists just continually to explore the medium. And uh, um, the exciting thing about right now is that there's so many groups of artists that are exploring the medium that as these processes get more optimized through machine learning or generative AI or whatever, uh, uh, there will be more more styles that, you know, hopefully support the stories that they're aiming for, you know, um, um, but it's exciting. As a creative, you mentioned generative AI
0: just now, as a creative, and you guys also used similar stuff yes. with the, uh, the neural transfer. Yes. As a creative person, what do you think about that? How do you think about the, those use cases? Just the fact that people are going out there and using AI yeah. to make themselves look like a Pixar character.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> I, again, it's the optimist in me is very excited by it, meaning like there's just so many opportunities to get technology into more hands sure that part is really exciting and then also optimizing a lot of the hard work that yes animation is like it is like you know we were talking about 2d animation where you would just take forever to get a second of of, of of film you know ai has the power to optimize so much of the work in all the departments in a way that will open all of those artists i think to be even more creative sure the fear of losing one 's job is the major fear that you talk to about with everyone right from from where I, I work mm-hmm. and uh, um, again, I think it's just about trying to understand the language of it right uh, When I was working with the tech teams, I didn't know the language, and so so much of it was scary right but once you started learning the lingo and and what each department uh, did and what each program did but between Houdini and some of the proprietary software, Pixar, you just didn't know it coming from the art world. And then once you learned it, it wasn't scary anymore. I feel like the same is true for AI. There's so much that it can do that we just don't know that people are afraid of. But then the more that we learn about it, the more exciting that you feel like, oh, that could be a really useful thing. Now, harvesting people's... Personal artwork online, that I'm not a big fan of at all. Sure. You know, the just like what the uh, actors are striking about, I feel like the same needs to happen with I artists it. and their work. You know, I get it. And, uh, um, but hopefully once that can be either monetized for that artist that, that it's harvesting from... Right. Um, uh, there's there's a lot of wonder. I agree. I, I mean, I've think
0: about a lot. I think about a great deal, and I feel bad for, for some of how it has has it affected people. But at the same time, it's like you put it on Instagram by doing that. Yes. You kind of agreed to a bunch right. of things that you may not have realized. Yes,
2: there was just a New York Times article about um, <laughs> Sharenting, where the parents that have put their kids online uh-huh. uh, in Facebook and the parents that have chosen not to, right. You know, respect well, chose to respect that privacy, right? And that there was this generative AI that was harvesting kids' faces and putting them onto actors that were proclaiming that they've just been kidnapped. Scary stuff. Right. And uh, then using their voices because of all the, uh, the videos that they had put online of their children. Right. And so that part of it is absolutely terrifying. Right. It really is. Um, 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 so meaning there needs to be some sort of structure. There needs sure. to be some sort of parameters to safeguard all of this, but it's here to stay. Like there was a phrase that was used down uh, and I don't know where I heard it, um, but of AI is not going to take your job, but someone who knows AI will. Right. And uh, um, I believe that. I, I you know, right. like it's just going to be in the future. But we can also
0: just look at, at Pixar, right? And it sent, when Pixar came around and Toy Story came out, they yeah. thought this is going to be the end of animation. But yeah. look
2: how much more animation we have yes, than we yes. ever did. But it did, there was, I mean, like the 2D world, Still a of people, but, but there were a lot of people that had lost their jobs at that time. Right. You know, there was a slow decline and there aren't as many 2D films for sure, but it survived and it's still growing. It's just another way to tell a story.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with you know, stop motion is still popular in yes, some ways. Yes. You know? So I think that people need to sort of look at history a little bit more right, yeah, and reflect yeah. on some of those yes. things. Well, this is very exciting. So, th- congratulations on the film. Thank What's you, next for you? <laughs>
2: um, heading in, in, into development, I've been at work helping some other shows out right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, going into development and uh, hopeful for the future. That's
0: awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Thank it's a wonderful Chris. sharing your story, both on screen and personally.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you.
0: Okay, so a couple last things. Yeah. Uh,